we want equity in the sport of trail running, but it's really like to get that we actually need like our general everyday society, cultural norms to also shift. Right. So it's like, until we see more in just general society in terms of equity, it's really hard to be like, yeah, but we're going to get the sport of trail running to be completely equitable. Exactly. It's like, well, we need, we need culture altogether to kind of boost that up. Right. Like it, it has to come from a bigger entity, you know, trail running can't start the world of equity. Like we can do stuff, but we can't be the leaders. We're really small <laughs> compared yeah. to everything else. Right. Welcome or welcome back to the Virtual Podcast, Running Long. I'm your host, Francesco Puppi. I'm a professional athlete for Nike and also a Virtual coach. Today's guest is Gina Lucrezzi, founder of Trail Sisters, an American-based organization with the mission to increase women's participation and opportunities in trail running through inspiration, education, and empowerment. We will talk about how Gina started this project, how it's grown over the years, what impact Trail Sisters has had on the sport. We will also talk about women's participation in trail running, the culture of the still predominantly white and male outdoor sport community, the initiatives to encourage women's participation in trail running, and how some big race organizations are taking care of these issues. I think in the end, this is a great conversation about how the general culture and society affects the way people see and approach trail running and vice versa, how trail running can have positive influence on society. For those of you who are new here, Bertran is the number one app for trail and ultramarathon runners of all levels. Our mission is to make trail running accessible to everybody everywhere through affordable coaching. That's why all our coaching plans cost $25 per month. With your Bertram subscription, you will get a personal coach who checks in with you each week to answer your questions, adjust your training plan, and keep you accountable and inspired. For those of you who want to give training with Bertram a try, you can take 30% off your first month of training with the code RUNNINGLONG30. Let's get started. Gina Lucrezzi. Gina Lucrezzi, founder of Trail Sister. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for, for taking the time. And uh, we finally managed to to connect after after some exchange of emails <laughs> and, yeah. uh, sometimes. So um, I really wanted to have you on our podcast. Um, you know, one of our goal is to bring trail running to everyone. And that includes women, of course. Um, and uh, I feel like we are very aligned with uh, your mission through Trail Sister to increase women's participation and opportunity in trail running. And uh, as you write on your website to inspire, educate, and empower, which we will try to understand what it means specifically. So um, can you maybe give a little introduction of who you are and uh, what Trail Sister is to start. Sure, sure, yeah, totally. So yes, my name's Jean Lucrezzi. I, um, I've been a, a runner my entire life. I started, actually started running in, um, well, I didn't start uh, track and cross country. Finding the love for it in, its, in itself is what it was. I actually was a, uh, a team sports uh, 
advocate or enthusiast. I played field hockey for a long time and that's where I, you know, that I had a lot of fun there and I developed um, or noticed I was able to have some speedy legs with that. And that's kind of what then took me over to uh, track and then cross country. And um, yeah, kind of went from there. I, I had some success in that and then continued through college and had a bit more success. And it wasn't until um, after college that I actually found the sport of trail running. And so that was kind of kind of interesting. I was never allowed to trail run when I was in school because, you know, if you roll your ankle, you know, you were, oh, yeah. you were no good to go <laughs> run the mile the next day or the 1500, you know, at your yeah. the weekend race. So, um, but yeah, so I, I kind of, that was kind of my lead up into, into the running world. And then um, after schooling and everything, I did end up taking uh, jobs essentially in the outdoor space, but mainly in the trail run um, realm. And so that's kind of how I continued to develop my passion for the sport. And it's also at the same time, just, uh, the lack of voice and perspective for women within the sport. And so I was, I had jobs throughout the, I call it the marketing arena, the trail running industry between being a marketing manager. I worked at Innovate for a while doing that in the U.S. distributor office. Worked for Trail Runner Magazine, Iron Far. Um, I did a lot of contract work in terms of um, uh, athlete, athlete contracts and management for Julbo, Ultimate Direction. I did some work with um Vasque as well and some others. And so, and then for a short time, I ran professionally, if I could call it that. It's got paid very little, but I guess at that time it, it counted, right? So the early um, days of so uh, I had a full running. scope of everything. Yes, yes. I think I, I hope people are getting paid much more now. I'm sure I know some are, um, but it's good <laughs> to see that because the sport has evolved as well. But yeah. um, but yeah, through that experience is how I started trail sisters because I noticed, Hey, there's so many women out here that love the sport, but they're underrepresented in the sport, but uh, the, um, the interest and excitement for it was totally there. So, you know, because of the background I had with marketing and media, I decided to create trail sisters and the mission was to, or is to grow women's participation opportunity in trail running and hiking. Cause there's a little bit of a, a you know, they, um, overlap, but to do it through education, inspiration, and empowerment. And so, yeah, and this coming April will be seven years old. So it's been quite a wild, wild ride. It hasn't been all that long, but definitely made leaps and bounds within the the sport and the industry. And so it's been exciting. Wow. Congrats. It feels like <laughs> you've done so many things in your life, you know, from being um, <laughs> a track runner in college, pretty good level i think because i found out you have prs of uh 433 for the 1500 meters and mm -hmm. 1714 for the 5000 meters um and then i think like i mean you live in buena vista colorado right correct so it's pretty like straightforward to to go on to the trails <laughs> like i think it's yes. a pretty common transition uh and i personally i love colorado and you know, some of the most amazing trails I've ever been to are there. Um, so yeah, very inspiring. Um, but I think like also the talking about how Trail Sister came to life, um, like your background as a, you know, athlete manager and just dealing with contracts and being 
involved at different levels in the sport really helped you, um, you know, give birth to this project and uh, just uh, have all the the knowledge and expertise to 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 understand that it was something worth doing, but also uh, that it could find the right segment in the in the sport in the trail scene. So, um, I mean, I it I appreciate when people take initiative, um, and I feel it's always a pretty big jump, you know, um, even as uh, entrepreneurs, because uh, it's it's not easy at all. <laughs> and working right. for a small startup, I I see it myself. And um, maybe also with the project of the Pro Trail Runners Association that we were talking about before starting the conversation, um, it's a little bit the same. You know, embarking on a really big, um, potentially life-changing adventure is uh, a little bit in intimidating sometimes, but uh, it can bring uh, so many good things. Yeah, yeah, and... It's, it, and that's how, like, you know, when we started Trail Sisters, it was a passion project. I just wanted to come up with some kind of, um, you could call it a solution or just to find another way to celebrate and recognize women in the sport. I had no idea that it would turn into a full-time job for myself and my husband. We have one mm -hmm. contractor. So, so we're, we're, our footprint is, is quite large, but internally, there's really three of us that do the day-to-day -day work. So it's, okay. it's a small internal team, but in terms of our reach and all the things that we've created and put out there, it's quite large. But, you know, I think a lot of that too goes into, you know, we have a, a group of leaders or um, uh, local group leaders, that is. And then we also have a team. And so you can, you know, and might be for pro trail runners. I know you have a, a board and different ambassadors and things like that. And, and those people do, you know, we trail sisters wouldn't be what it is today without their help and their guidance. Cause they're the folks that are really, we set the, the main stage and create, you know, the all framework. the goodness that they, yeah, the frame. Exactly. And, and then they connect then, with the community. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly it. And so, um, but with, with a startup, you know, there's a lot of this up and down, up and down. Mm -hmm. And there's been times where I'm like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? You know, should we, you know, is this, should we look into something else? You know, all of that. And um, to be honest, I'm so glad that, you know, we stuck with it. And so to any entrepreneur, anybody that's thinking about doing something, hang tight, you know, go with it. There, no <laughs> doubt you will definitely hit rough patches and you'll rethink everything. But then when you get to the sweet spot where it all makes sense and you see the changes that you intend to, to kind of, um, well, create, it's all the hard work and the low spots are totally worth it. And you'll have lots of highs too, but, but it's like an ultra, you know, same yeah, thing. Exactly. And <laughs> uh, one of the thing I came across on your website is the, is that your mantra is uh, take a bet on yourself. Um, probably this is, like the the question that I wanted to ask you, what what it yeah. means to take a bat on yourself? That is precisely yeah. what it means. <laughs> so yeah, it's very so, empowering. I think um, a, a little scary at times, but um, yes. <laughs> so yeah. so um, what that means and and why that's really core to me, and I think also we've integrated that into Trail Sisters is, you know, there comes times or 
you know, for everybody, there's a time where you, you, you start to doubt yourself. You, maybe your confidence is low. Um, maybe you thumb through too much social media and it just gets to you and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm not doing anything. Like all these people are, I'm like, Oh, toss it out the window. But, um, everyone is nailing goals and achieving things. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. And so, uh, taking a bet on yourself is a mantra that I wish people could embrace and remember like, Hey, I got this, I can do it. But to get there, you have to believe in yourself. So taking that bet on yourself is really important. I think there's times when, you know, people just, they quit believing in themselves and their abilities or their, their capabilities and their confidence dips. And it's always the kind of that little reminder, like, Hey, you, you got this, but the only way you're going to make that happen is if you do, you know, take that bet on yourself. You do believe in yourself to move forward. You can't, if you can't, you know, believe in yourself, it's really hard to do anything else, right? It's hard to help other people. It's hard to inspire. It's hard to empower, you know, it's hard to help anybody outside of yourself. If you have that, you know, the belief that you're, you're not able to do something or you're not worthy or you're not good enough. So it's a way to just, Hey, you know, take a bet on yourself today, get out there, go for it. And it, it does work out time and time again. Sometimes you just got to remember that, but that's kind of, it's a great message and uh, something that I constantly need to remind myself for, because like for how successful people may see me, um, you know, I'm a pro runner. Um, I'm involved at different levels in the sport. I, if I look back on my athletic career, I feel like I have accomplished some things, but I also feel like I've failed way more than what I have accomplished. So, you know, it's not always easy. Self-confidence is it's a pretty hard thing. Um, and um, it's not always easy to, to feel good about what you're doing. Uh, but like going back to, to what you were saying, I think like take a bet on yourself applies really well to what you've done, like the project that you started, but also to people who start trail running because that is also a bet in yourself maybe especially for women um you know trail running is is obviously still a very male-centric sport um like the the participation is predominantly by male athletes so for women for women it's maybe even more difficult to take up trail running and believe that they can do it that they can, you know, be out there in the nature on rock terrain and uh, go for a long time or run. You don't, you don't need to run an altar, an altar to be a trail runner. And that's what I constantly tell people. But, yes. you know, it's still not maybe, maybe not the most approachable or easy thing to, to take up. So that's yeah, another thing that I wanted to mention. Oh yeah, no, and you're completely right. Yeah, women's participation is definitely in the longer the distance, you know, the less female participation. Exactly. And and, and yeah, and, and 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 women should know, like, hey, you don't have to run an ultra. Like, a half marathon's great. A ten k is great. Heck, go do a five k to get started. You know, like, there's you're good to go, and you don't always have to think about I have to run every single step. There's hiking involved. That's why we incorporate some hiking with Trail Sisters because. We didn't want women to believe that, oh, okay, if I join Trail Sisters, I have to be able to run all this. No, 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 no. You might only run a little bit and hike a lot. And that's okay. You have to start somewhere. But 
Yeah. With uh, the participation thing, you know, there's, I think the sport of trail running is it's, it's more primitive, right. You know, which has, I think more of a, a masculine appeal, especially in mm-hmm. cultural culture and society, you know, you think of um, like men would go out and hunt and fish and, you know, love the outdoors, but, you know, we're talking like 19, whatever, 18, whatever. Right. So like, it's something that was fostered, um, for men, which is great. You know, that's, that's totally fine. Women weren't kind of pushed into that same realm. You know, it was a little different. They had different responsibilities. And so through time, it's just been tricky to kind of adjust that at thinking or that cultural, um, uh, let's see, um, expectation, you know, and it's different in, in different countries too. Right. So it's more extreme here, there, somewhere else. So it's, it's definitely on different levels across the world, but I think those are some of the big reasons why there is less participation. It's just doesn't seem as attractive because of what women have grown up, you know, seeing and, and being told, but I think there is a big swing to, to change that, but change takes time and, you know, it progress, it doesn't happen overnight, but the key is kind of cracking that door open and then, you know, swinging open more and more as time goes on, but it's really hard to, you know, and I wouldn't say it's like fixing something, but it's just to, you know, progress forward. So I think as long as, you know, things are inching, you know, we're getting somewhere and people should really be excited about that versus that door just staying closed so exactly yeah before we i may i maybe ask you a few more questions about troll sister as a, as a project yeah. as, a, as a company um i really wanted to discuss uh the topic of women's participation in trail running um because i felt there is definitely a cultural um aspect that maybe prevents more participation in the sport but it is true that maybe talking about the the pro level which is what i am in constantly in contact with um like historically there has been much fewer opportunities for women in terms of uh, you know sponsorships or race coverage for example or contracts or women's rights when it comes to to contracts for example maternity leaves or other you know specific um needs that women's women athletes have so it has probably different reasons and um that has definitely changed over the years and as trail running is growing I feel like things are getting better. I, I don't know if you if you agree or not, but you know, it's as you as you mentioned, it's a slow process and we need to work on different areas and like cultural change takes time. And uh, I don't know if we're actually ready to make that jump to you know really see. Uh, equal opportunities which is what I wish to to see and what Trail Sister stands for I think so what is your opinion on on this yeah so it's interesting right because it's like we want equity in the sport of trail running but it's really like to get that we actually need like our 
general everyday society cultural norms to also shift, right? So it's like until we see more in just general society in terms of equity, it's really hard to be like, yeah, but we're going to get the sport of trail running to be completely equitable. Exactly. It's like, well, we need we need culture altogether to kind of boost that up, right? Like it, it has to come from a bigger entity. You know, trail running can't start the world of equity. Like we can do stuff, but we can't be the leaders. We're really small <laughs> compared yeah. to everything else, right? <laughs> and so, and so that's yeah, it's hard. That's where like small progress is great progress. But you're right with pro athletes, you know, um, long ago when I was doing speedier stuff, now I'm inundated with trail sisters. So it's actually quite hard to even get out and run at times, which is kind of ironic, but, (laughs) but, um, but I remember with the contracts and things like that, uh, and just speaking to different athletes, you know, I have quite a few friends in that space and have, you know, I, I know certain things and I will never say who said what and things like that. But yes, generally the, the amount of money was always less. And I believe that there's still organizations that do keep that cap as a difference, you know, men mm-hmm. may be paid more than, you know, I, and I don't know which ones and things like that, but I, from what I hear, it does seem like, well, there's still a split on some of that, which is, which is kind of a bummer for the fact it's like, Hey, if, you have your top tier athletes and they're a level, well then a level would get this. If they're both B level, as you know, like however they want to slice it, but just because one's a man, one's a woman shouldn't designate, Oh, automatic differences. And you'd mentioned um, teams and such, right? So generally a lot of teams in the past, I remember there'd be like 15 guys on the team and there might be like four women, you know? So just the amount of elite spots awarded to women was very, was tiny. And when you talk about coverage, well, shoot, if you only have four elite women at races and they're only, they're not getting much coverage to begin with, it just compounds to having, you know, less and less of that visibility. Exactly. You know, you have, you know, articles, a major, the, and I love, I love my actual, my undergrad degree was actually TV film. So I'm actually a fan of media, but because of that, sometimes I feel as though I understand too much of it and it, it bothers me because I really, um, I put a lot of ownership on how things are run actually on the media. They have the opportunity to really change things. Um, and it's really up to them. And sometimes that's dictated by, you know, advertising dollars, who's paying for what and what they want to see. And I get it. It's a business, but they have to have a stronger ethical, I think, approach to making sure there is coverage. And there's, there's a ton of money out there for what, like, to be honest, women will spend tons of money getting to the sport and buying products and doing all that, you know, but you, you got to welcome them into the sport. They might spend more than the men do. And when you talk business for brands and races and different organizations, you're missing a huge part of the pie because it might be something that's different or it's, you know, what, not what they're used to, or yeah, you got to take that bet or you got to risk it to, to work on growing that, uh, the participation of women. And I think, I think those business that it's purely just money, I think they'd, they'd make out well on it. And I'm not here to just promote, you know, business entities doing whatever, but realistically in the world, that's how a lot of things work and that's okay. But I wish they'd kind of sit down and think about that a little more. It's like, Hey, we could be dipping into this market. A, they'll be, you know, more prosperable, prosperable, prosperous. (laughs) One of those words, you know, but also the participation of women in sport would grow. So it's a win-win for everybody. You just, 
I don't know. I could talk for hours probably about that topic alone, Please but do. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, but I, I really do think, um, you know, the big drivers in the sport, you know, they have the biggest voices, they have the most money to make those changes, but then athletes, you know, have a, a very large voice too. And I think some athletes, they, well, maybe they get muscled. They feel like though they can't say certain things because they might lose sponsorship dollars. They may, might, they might make their, their sponsor angry or uh, an organization angry. I, you know, whatever the list could go on, but if they could take a stand in doing something, it, it, it speaks volumes because they already have a platform. They already have people following them. So if they're able to do that, that is a big, you know, proponent and propelling change maker right there. Um, yes. I know for, I know for women, this is, this is something that's interesting. So when there is only, if it's not equal spots on a team, right. Or say there's, you know, whatever, let's say five men, five women, you know, there's so many women that I think are so motivated to be professional in the sport, which is great. But if, if an athlete turns down the spot because they think, you know, Hey, I deserve more pay or I want to be paid the same as the person over here or, you know, or X, Y, and Z. And then you have another woman come in. That's like, well, that's fine. I'll do it just for shoes. It hurts the entire female field of yes. Cause we've just set the bar lower saying, Hey, we're desperate. We'll take anything, throw us a bone and we'll do it. And that's where I really wish women in the sport could band together Mm-hmm. think about what do we want? You know, we, if we want, equ- you know, equity in the sport and we want to be treated the same and we want the same things, you know, coverage contracts, the list goes on. You kind of got to work together. It can't be five people fighting for one piece of pie. It's got to be the whole group saying, Hey, well, we don't want the pie at all. So, you know, not until we each get a fair slice type, you know what I mean? It's, it's something where people have to work together and, and hold that bar at a higher standard versus just giving in. If that makes, hopefully that makes sense. Totally. Yes. Uh, you know, as, as a member of the board of the pro turbines association, it's something that we really work on, want to work on. And I feel like being such a large group of elite athletes right now, we're almost 180 Wow. We have a big power great. because, you know, someone that wants to speak up is not alone, but has the power of a really large group of influential people behind. And mm-hmm. I don't think like federations or circuits or brands can just uh, pretend not to listen to us. Um, I think in trail running the power as pretty much always been within the brands, but it's now time that it's the balance shifts more towards the people, the athletes, uh, and in this sense towards the woman um, so that they get more opportunities, more, more power, more, just have a better, you know, experience in the sport, both at a pro level and uh, for all the other people. And I, I, I wish sometimes you know, going back to to the media um, example that you mentioned, I wish things were not so much money driven, but the ethic was stronger to guide those interests and who gets what, where the attention goes, because mm-hmm. 
if it's too much money driven, I feel it's it's a problem and not, not always benefiting people, um, which ultimately is why we are doing this whole thing. I, I think we should not lose sight of why we do what we do. You know, it's because we want to enjoy it, uh, have a good time, um, just enjoy <laughs> time on the trails and our lives. So, um, yeah. Completely yeah. like, and that's, and that's the thing, you know, once, once the sport and, you know, there is more and more money and more brands, more races. And, and I mean, that's great growth of sport, more oh, yes. opportunity, but yes, once all of a sudden it just turns into health, can it make money from everybody involved? It does take away from the pureness of, Hey, you know, this is just supposed to be something fun. I mean, I mean, in terms of all the sports out there, you know, you, you can just get away with going out in a pair of shoes and, and enjoying yourself on the trail. Right. So, you know, the longer you go, the more gear you might need, but it is one of those sports where it, it doesn't necessarily require a ton of money to get started. So to, to take away that appeal because it's being monetized so much is kind of a scary thing. And we don't want it to go that direction. We always want it to be an accessible sport, welcoming sport for everybody that's interested in getting outdoors. Um, so I agree with you. It is, it's, it's kind of nerve wracking that, you know, where will the sport head? If it's, if everybody, the brands races, you know, if it's all just about driving the dollar, it's, it's fearful for the future. You hope that they have interest in also doing programming or, you know, um, projects or whatever educational moments where people can just enjoy simply, you know, getting something from them that's doesn't require a cost. So yeah, exactly. Um, and then regarding coverage, for example, um, obviously we've made great progress, but you know, even thinking about last year, for example, when UTMB announced that they were going to follow the top 10 men and only the top five women uh, during the race for the live coverage, that was still pretty, you know, disappointing. Then, of course, people started complaining, so they changed their mind, uh, and then basically the the whole situation was fixed. But maybe some some circuits are doing better than others. Um, Sorry, I broke up there for a second. Yeah, can you hear me? Oh, now I can hear you. Okay, cool. Uh, I mean, I was saying what I was saying. Maybe some circuits um, are doing it better than others. Um, for example, the Golden Trail Series has always tried to give equal coverage, equal opportunities, price money, and everything to men and women. This year, for example, they're doing the Golden Trail Series final uh, in separate days so that they have, like, the woman will have full attention and then the men will have the same. And I think that is That's cool. a good idea. You know, it's at least trying to go in the right direction. So, um, yeah, that drives, of course, a lot of other things uh, in terms of, for example, um, contracts, sponsorship opportunities, and such for for pro athletes, at least. Um, yeah. Wait, well, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say with, with live coverage, it's, you know, more and more of a thing. And I know in, in Europe, it's, it's 
been around longer than it has been in the U.S., but it's interesting, like, it's exciting, right, with more people wanting to have live coverage at their events, and I'm like, yes, that's great, but watching a lot of live coverage, most of the time, there there is a constant, like, flow of video of the top men, and then you, every once in a while, they might snap back, oh, and here's the top woman, you know, or here's, mm-hmm. the top, oh, here's this person, you know, now back to the men's coverage, and even the commentators, and, you know, I love these people. I know I know a lot of them, and they do a great job. But I think sometimes you got to remind them, like, hey, like, this isn't this isn't great. You see it in the chat feed. Where is the women's, you know, coverage? Can we can we get an update on the women? And so, you know, it's it's something to be mindful of. But as more and more coverage comes out, if that means if well, I'll say this, if you can't get enough camera people or filmers to catch the women's race and you have one person that's supposed to be doing both don't have any coverage because <laughs> it's not going to be, it's not going to turn out well if it's one-sided, it's going to be more harmful. So unless you can get coverage to, you know, address both fields, in my opinion, it's not worth it. Or, you know, well, mainly for the fact that you're probably going to have a lot of comments about how poorly of a job it, you know, you're doing because you're being one-sided. So either, you know, for those companies, those organizations, either have that built into, you know, your your program, your proposal to a race of, you know, how how you are going to proceed. Make sure that race obviously can afford to be able to do that, but if they can only afford two people and those people are filming at the top of the race and they're missing the whole women's field, I think it's going to do more damage to your event then it would help, you know, be helpful in terms of live coverage. But it's it's a whole new thing, at least over here, it's a, a bit newer. And, you know, when you have to see people in the comments saying like, hey, you know, where's, it's sad because you know they're intense, positive. And the commentators, they can't control where the camera people are, right? They're in a booth doing their thing. But I think beforehand, there just has to be better of understanding of how they're going to capture that information. And if they don't have that footage, they have to come up with other things to share and talk about so that there is an equitable presence in this live feed. Otherwise, I think it hurts. It hurts the sport more. So just to follow up on the live coverage. But yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Running Long. In this quick break, I just wanted to share with you a message from one of the athletes that we coached through Bertrand named Robert from the Netherlands. He says, Bertrand's training plans enabled me to even prepare for highly challenging mountain races with several thousand meters of elevation gain, despite the fact that I live in one of the flattest countries in the world, the Netherlands, and my highest hill close by is a 30 meter dune. Robert finished the Iger Ultra Trail last year. He also improved his marathon and half marathon PRs and this year is planning to run Sears and all. Robert is an explorer athlete who trains with our $25 per month coaching subscriptions. If you want to try out Bertrand Coaching too, remember that you can get a 30% discount as a podcast listener with the code RUNNINGLONG30. What do you think about the whole, like, atmosphere or like impression that people have regarding trail running but also outdoor sports that everything is always presented in a very like epic um male centric (laughs) and tough and you know you have to be that way 
um, sure. thing that is probably not very woman friendly. And this is a matter of culture, of course, going back to sure. what we were talking about. Um, but I wish we could really change this narrative because even for, for myself, I wish it could be different because sometimes I feel like I'm 100% not that way. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's hard to no. convince people that we should change because that would maybe make me feel better, but I feel it would be so much better also with, for many, many other people, you know? Yes. It makes sense. Yeah, completely. Yeah. 100%. That's actually, I've had conversations on this before and the more, you know, epic, everything's so hard and uh, the more avert, the better, you know, like, it's like, I get the appeal. You have some folks that just like, give me the hardest thing you could ever throw at me. Cause you know, I'm like, that's fine. But if everything is just based on, we need to make everything harder. Yeah. It's kind of like you're cannibalizing your opportunities to, um, you know, allow for other people in the sport. Cause you're, you're segmenting yourself as like, well, we only want to speak to the the hardcore of the hardest core people. And at the end of the day, that's really not that big of a grouping, you know, like I understand the appeal of it and there's, there's space for it, but it is kind of um, a huge bubber, if you will, seeing more and more races kind of jump on, well, we have to make it harder if we, if we do this or we should change this. I'm like, you don't, why not make it a fast course and something that's easy and let's see people's strengths in this way. You don't need to have all the vert in the world to be like, hey, you're a great trail runner. You know, like just because you don't run uphill for the majority of the time doesn't mean, oh, it's not a trail race you know, like, or it's not it's not a great race to go to. It's it's funny. But again, there's that cultural drive for like bigger, stronger, harder, faster. And I think it's you know, I think there's some egos maybe at play there. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a little ridiculous. I think people need to center and come back to the idea of, Hey, not everything has to be in this bucket. And I'd say the same thing with, um, I was on another podcast and we were chat chatting a bit about like hundred miles, hundred mile races are great. I love them. I still aspire to do them. Um, but there's nothing wrong with a marathon. There's nothing wrong with exactly. a half marathon or 50. Like those events are also great. Like if you're not running a hundred, it doesn't mean you're not an epic person or you're not a hardcore runner, like not at all. It, you know, and, but you see more and more media just pushing for like the longer things. And, and I just, sometimes I'm like, is it because those are the people that are paying for advertising or what's wrong with promoting more of these distances that are more obtainable to be mm -hmm. honest in various ways. Right. Between like just time you can train for it cost to an extent, right? I mean, it does cost to enter races and the world isn't getting cheaper. So, you know, race directors do have to cover their costs. So, but, um, you know, it, but there's, there's all kinds of different variances of, Hey, the shorter it is, you know, it, it doesn't mean it's any less of a trail race. So yeah, that is the thing, especially in the United States, I feel like in Europe, the situation is a bit different because of the way that trail running has developed um, historically. But I also think it's starting to change a little bit, like the sub-ultra distances are starting to get more attention and recognition. Good. And people don't see it necessarily as a you know, side thing compared to the 100 milers, uh, which is good. Like 
I think the entry level for the sport should be as friendly as possible because why not encouraging more people to take up trail running? I mean, it's not what, it's not, that is not the problem. We need to raise the standards for contracts and other things, but price money, whatever, but not for like the barrier to entry trail running or trail races. So I, I definitely agree with you. Yes. Um, so maybe going a little more specifically, um, how do you encourage women's participation in, in trail races? For sure is a matter of culture as we've understand and we've mentioned, but maybe like specifically, what does trail sister do to encourage more women to train and compete in trail races? Sure. So how, how we approach that in our, I mean, we have different methods of that, I guess. One is we have over 150 local groups across the States. We have a few in Canada as well, but so if these ladies are close to these local groups, you know, it's a great way for them to just, you know, if they're brand new, there's a whole support system. They can learn a ton from one another. They make great relationships, you know, can foster that camaraderie. Um, it's a safe space in that sense as well. Right. Um, and so throughout that process, just kind of having fun, it's more of a, the events they put on are no drop, which means you go for a little bit as a group, or if it does string out, but you stop after maybe a half mile or a mile, let everybody kind of collect. And then you go again. So that helps, you know, Hey, so nobody gets lost and they just, they're more confident about what they're doing because you're going to meet up again. Um, so putting on events like this that are more social and have that aspect, you're, you're hopeful that these women develop a love for the sport and just the people that are in it. And then as they hear things and they learn more and they feel more comfortable with their own trail running, Hey, they might want to try their local 10 K, you know, wouldn't that be fun to go see where they're, you know, if their trainings got to that point, we're just to go support other people. So having these groups kinds of fosters, fosters that, you know, first the love of trail running, and then maybe gets them to the next step of, I want to take it to another level, competitive or not, but just go do some other version of what the sport is. Um, additionally, you know, our, we trail sisters started as an online journal. And so every week we have generally three new pieces of content, all from it's crowdsourced. So it comes from completely our 100% uh, from our, our community, any and every woman that wants to share a story or uh, tips or advice, or, you know, it has to deal with the world of trail running and some or hiking. So those are like, that's the only constraint, but we, we welcome her to sh share that on the site. We always send them a trucker hat and, you know, we can't pay everybody because it's just, that would be impossible for us. But, but with those articles, the whole point and hope is that people read them. It either answers questions. It makes them feel more comfortable. Um, it's just that broad spectrum of voice so that it, you just hope people have more info for what they need or education to then go outside and, and trail run because they, they read a great inspirational piece or answered some technical questions. And now they feel more comfortable being out there. So there's that. We also have a courses section on our um, communities platform, which we're, are all, where all our groups are. And the courses are free courses where you can learn, you know, how to do this, how to do that. How does nutrition work? It's kind mm -hmm. of like this, yeah, like this gamified um, 
situation or program. So you, you read it, you know, there's, you know, a couple lessons. And at the end, there's like a five question quiz, you know, but it's, we're adding to that. We'll be adding a backcountry safety and awareness section shortly, but, but just trying to provide them with free um, and helpful, you know, education so that they have the tools and the resources they need to embrace the sport and then hopefully continue on. So we always start at the level of how do we get them into it? Or if they're into it, you know, how do we get them to, you know, I don't know, go to the next step or enjoy it more or share it with friends, you know, and obviously the whole point is that they have a great time as well. It's not just about rowing, it's about enjoying, but usually when you enjoy something that much, you share it with others. So you have that organic growth. So that's kind of, I, that might've been a mouthful of too much information, but, but that's, oh, that's a lot of it, just that encouragement, but yeah. Okay. To, to develop a sense of belonging to a group of people, a community where women can feel safe and empowered and uh, just uh, free to explore their, their possibilities, I think is, uh, is really yes. cool. Um, also on, on your website, I, I noticed you have uh, a calendar with like a 12 sister approved events, which I think it means that like those races respect some standards uh, related to, you know, equal prize money and awards between men and women. Um, I, I think also like equal coverage, um, women's specific products and need. Um, I, th I thought that was really uh, like a really cool initiative. Can you talk a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah. So we started that a little while ago and uh, I've seen other groups pop up doing some of the same and I've, I'm flattered kind of by it because I'm like, cool, look what we did. Like other groups are trying to come up with something that, you know, creates that impact. So I'm glad Trail Sisters could be, could be a leader there, but um, uh, yeah, we had, I had a chance to get together with different race directors and um, people in the sport and we're like, okay, how can we create kind of some process that one, you know, provides a more of a welcoming opportunity, well, welcoming experience at a race event for women in the sport, but also is mindful the race director that we're not asking them, you know, to spend a ton of money or change up their whole entire process. Like what is something very simple, but makes an impact. So it was really important to us that whatever we were asking for in, you know, the races to, you know, make these changes or yeah, to support, you know, this more equitable, welcoming race day wouldn't necessarily impinge on their ability to put on the race. If that was the case, we know the race directors would be like, well, this is totally, it's never going to happen. It's too much for me to deal with. So we wanted to keep it basic and simple, but basic and simple. Again, we're opening up the door. We can elaborate and pushing the door open more as time goes on. And so the equal podium spots, that was one equal prize money. If it's provided um, shirts. So if there's shirts given out, I mean, I have a whole, <laughs> I have a whole drawer full of shirts that I can, I cannot wear because they're all unisex or male size, because generally there was more men in the sport, I'm sorry, in the race. So instead of the race director getting both, you know, uh, women's fit, women's cut, men's cut, you know, you just got stuck with the men's shirt. And I mean, there's, there's actually companies that make, you know, quilts or blankets out of, 
Um, <laughs> I'm sure it's if you want. And I'm like, this is perfect. It's a perfect selling point to women because we've all got these like nightgown size shirts that can't wear anywhere. So anyway, so that was the other thing. Hey, get, you know, make sure you have both both types. And if, hey, if a, if a woman still wants to um, select the men's shirt, great. That's totally fine. But some women might not like that. So um, there's that. Then there's the menstrual project, or menstrual products. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of that is, to be honest, a lot of times it's not even a, a something that women end up needing. Most of the times you're prepared and whatnot, but there are times where it just happens. And it's, it's not, it shouldn't be something that's like faux pas. You can't talk about. I mean, every woman on the planet goes through this. So it's, and every man on the planet should know about it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not something that's disgusting, horrible or anything else. It's just part of life. And, you know, if we can have, you know, chafing cream for, for guys to slather on wherever they want, why can't we have some menstrual products on the table there too, in case a woman needs something like that. And so part of that too, is we want to own the actual aid station table versus like hiding in a med kit or in somebody's bag or, you know, cause then you have to ask somebody. And if we're trying to be quick at our aid stations, how much time does that take? And, and it can, you know, some people might be embarrassed to be like, Hey, does anybody have something? So just put it on the table. It's, you know, it's there if somebody needs it and it doesn't cost a lot to buy a box of products divide up in between your aid stations and then just keep it in your aid station kit for the next year. This is a guarantee. They not, they, you know, they won't all be used anyway. That's the one that usually gets the most, you know, flack because like, how do we, we have to do this. It's like, it's really not that big of a deal. And then the last standard <laughs> is um, essentially equal uh, opportunity for the start line. And that deals kind of with coverage. And so the idea is how many, you know, newspaper articles or magazines, whatever, website articles there's a photo and it's usually you know it's either the winners or it's the starting line when you have a ton of people lined up but when you just see all these you know men standing in the front you know it's i think that goes into our conversation like it must be hard and epic and just intense right it personifies that like masculine like you know which totally there should be tons of men up there but it'd be great to have some women there too so our ask was, Hey, would you ever consider, you know, at, you know, split your starting line, at least a little bit, you know, go 10 rows deep, you know, half of it's female in the front, the other half is male. So, you know, and then whatever you want to shake out behind, that's fine. But having that is really important. I've seen some races do where the men will, there might be men in the front, but then they'll ask them to like kneel down. So you can see women there as well, just to, you know, Hey, let's support them. I think that's, that's great. That's a first step, but it kind of stinks that there's still stuff behind. It's like bow down so we can see them for the photo. Then you can stand back up and like, go, (laughs) it's something it's, you know, I understand the point. The other thing was, you know, just some women don't want to come to the front because they are intimidated. So that may be the case, but if the race director could make announcements like, Hey, we're going to start in five minutes, you know, we want to have women up front with the men, please start to move to the, you know, just encouraging that is really important. You know, at the end of the day, you have, you know, first place male, first place female, you know, so everybody else, if you were to count it that way, it doesn't need to have 50,000 males up front. You know, only one is the featured first place person. What about the first place woman? Does she, you know, so, and the race is what it is. You sprint out and then it 
you know, it funnels out and it is, you know, so it's not, it's not a big deal. Not everybody that's a dude has to be in the front. You can make room for women and you can get around if you need to, you know, a lot of women have to work really hard to get around all the men that feel they need to be on the front, but maybe, you know, if we're going to base on pace, maybe they shouldn't be there, you know, but there's that, that feel or that, um, I don't know, cultural or whatever you want to call it, that that's how it should be stacked because they're automatically stronger. And that's, that's not always the case. So anyhow, I'm on a soapbox with that, but, (laughs) but those are our five standards. We're, we'll probably be shifting some of those or changing some of those for the future, combining the prize money and podium as that could be one, um, including maybe some things about pregnancy, but right now we're going to keep it as the five because we've been noticing more and more races are are committing to these standards because they see that hey we can do more to make our race a welcoming event and so that's our goal to get as many as as many as we can to to commit to these standards we give them a badge that they can then put on their website and promote and it's it's actually done wonders we've had a lot of race directors say hey i'm so glad i did this and it's it's it was easy to do and the amount of women that we see now participating and how they've been thanking us for these, you know, to make sure we're doing this equitable approach has been great. You know, so all that stuff does pay off. It's simple, but it makes a big impact both for the race and the participants. So anyhow. Exactly. I feel like sometimes we don't need to come up with very fancy things, but if we are willing to find the solutions, they're, basically already in place they just need to like yeah be effective and yeah activated uh so yeah that's really cool so basically like race directors can apply for this program and if they meet the standards can get the label yeah and it's all it's all free all it is Mm -hmm. is they cool and i don't have the website url here but yeah they just go to the website and just kind of click you know, I agree to do this. And then once they enter that information, um, I think in their email address, then they'll be sent, you know, uh, a, Hey, thanks so much. And here's a, a badge. That if you want, you can download and then put on your site to show the participants that, Hey, these people committed to these standards, but yeah, again, free, we don't charge for anything. We don't want, you know, it's, it's about growing in that honest nature of just trying to have fun in the sport. So exactly. Regarding women's participation in the sport, we often see like statistics of big races like UTMB or Western States or Hard Rock where women's participation is like really low, like maybe 10% or even lower. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think it's like, what is the actual goal? Do we need to aim for 50-50% or like what do you what do you think about this this topic you know because like i don't think we necessarily necessarily have to aim for equal participation between men and women because naturally like women could be just less interested than men to take part into these races we just need to ensure that there are equal opportunities to for them to to participate basically so like i've I'm very interested in those statistics and numbers, but then like, I think they're often presented in a way that it's not always easy to understand what the goal should be. 
What's your opinion? Sure. Yeah, and and you nailed it 100%. Like, I want equity in the sport. I think a lot of us want equity in the sport, but that does not mean that participation must be 50-50. We can't really control that. What we can control is if we're providing enough opportunity for that, right? Whether women take, you know, take, take us up on it, that's up to them. Right. But if we're not doing enough that where there's barriers in place that don't allow them to actually participate because of one thing or other, that's, that's what we want to correct. You know, would it be great to see 50, 50? Sure. But will that happen? I actually doubt it, you know, because of cultural and societal norms of what, and there's, and again, that's something we can't drive. That's a way bigger bubble, bigger picture, you know? So, um, so like you mentioned, I don't, I don't know if 50, 50 participation everywhere is really what the sport is ever going to be like. And, and, you know, I, I don't really sounds weird. I don't care so much about that. I just care. The opportunity is there if they'd want it. Um, you know, when you think about Western hard rock, you probably know I'm a board member for hard rock if you were doing your homework. So, um, it's been interesting there, you know, cause obviously there's only 145 spots. So it's a very tiny race. And, you know, the way the lottery was set up in the past, um, and it, I don't think it was intentional, but it was just set up in a way uh, that kind of favored more male participation. I don't think it was, it was intentional to leave women out or to make it harder. But then, I mean, we're talking years ago, the sport has changed and we have had more female growth, which is great, but because we were still using that standard uh, system of the lottery process and how it was structured, it did favor running more in the past, right? So if you have more women coming in, you know, it's hard to, to catch up. So, you know, with what we did there is we created a policy that said, Hey, the amount of women that tow the starting line actually has to be representative of the amount that applied to the lottery. So we are making sure that, um, we're reflecting that interest of the lottery entrance on the starting line. So we took that percentage and it's the last two years. I mean, I think this year, forget how many off the top of my head, I should know this, but this coming 2023 will have the most women we've had so far, only a few more than last year, but here's, here's the other kicker. If you think about it, um, it comes down to the qualifiers. So all these very large races, right. They all have qualifiers or different Mm -hmm. ways to get in. Well, you got to then take, who are your qualifiers and are those qualifying races, what are their standards for people to get into their race? Right. So if it's not easy for women to get into those races, it's a whole extra step harder than Mm -hmm. to get into, you know, the hard rock or the Western or whatever you, you almost, you have to keep, yeah, breaking down the level. So it's, it's huge. (laughs) Like things that it's, you take an onion, there's a thousand layers. It's hard to fix every single thing. Um, and peel back everything and understand it, but you really have to boil it down. And as you, you see it on that most uh, micro level is kind of where it starts. So organization like trail sisters, trying to get people involved, building them up, getting them excited. Then they hopefully start to do more and more races. They grow the distance of the races, you know, and then hopefully eventually if they're interested, they get the opportunity to go run in one of those hundreds. But it's tough and it's not easy for those race organizations either. You know, for hard rock, it's an institutionalized, you know, race by this. It's been around for how long? So you sure you could say, let's scrap the entire policy and just start from scratch. But that's, that's not the right thing to do either. Right. I mean, anything's possible. 
but I know nobody would ever vote for that on the board, but, and I wouldn't vote for it either, to be honest, because I don't, that wouldn't be right to all the people that have been in the sport, but finding ways to address policies and participate, you know, lottery policies and participation opportunities. I think race directors of these large events should be open to tweaking them and finding ways that um, provide that opportunity. I'm not a big believer in like, hey, because you're the, you know, this person, automatic entry in. I don't, you know, like, oh, you fit, you know, this segment, automatic, like, you know, like for instance, some people were like, well, because Hard Rock, you know, has been around for so long, they should just be giving women entries to get in. I'm like, well, that's that's not right either. Like, let's come up with a system where if they apply and they've done X, Y, and Z, that we're reflecting the interest that way. Well, you can't just hand out entries just because, because then if you're talking equity, equity, that's not fair to the male demographic either. You know, so you have to keep things in perspective. Some people kind of go bananas and, and I get it, they're passionate and they're excited, but you, you have to be civil and you have to think about well-rounded, how do these, how will this work for a long time? You know, it's, they're not quick decisions because there's a lot of forward thinking you have to do and how you can preserve that stuff. But um, for qualifiers in those big races and getting people in, I think it's not just looking at their own event of how people get in. You have to look at all the other events leading up to your event and looking at their policies. And so that might help you decide like, Hey, do I want this person to be, you know, a qualifier for my race? Are they doing the things I think are equitable for their racers? In some of these big events, they have the power to do that. You know, if if they're selling out and it's hard to get in, you better believe some of those qualifier events would probably be open to switching their policies. If, if the big reason of why their events are filling is because they're a qualifier for, you know, the hard rock or the Western or things like that. If that, if that makes sense, hopefully. Yeah. It's a very vast topic and uh, yeah, for sure. Not easy to, to break down. No, No. (laughs) we could, we could start from something, you know, easier. That is like how in a like normal family uh, life is organized that is like house scores or child growth and everything is not just uh, something that needs to be taken care of by women for example so that they can have time to yes. train to go to races things that we can all control and uh, have some influence on and that's where the cultural shift is uh, is generated i think Oh yeah, 100%. If if we could get more people on board with sharing space and time. I mean, for women one of the hardest things is training time. Yeah, um if exactly. you know, and if you're a mother, it's just it's hard, you know. I actually I don't have kids, so I, I can't speak to it in that sense, but I speak to a, enough moms through trail sisters and just friends, but yeah, it's a little different. It, you know, regardless of even if the husband is or the partner is, you know, perfectly on board and splitting time there's still sometimes I think a little harder if it's a mother that's nursing things like that it's 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 always going to be a little bit tougher and I think that's where Mm -hmm. the pregnancy deferrals and and maybe finding some allowances for that it is important and you know if you birth you have a child your body doesn't go back together in one year to be able to take advantage of a one-year rollover you know like think about having to heal up which takes time and it's not the same for every woman One woman might heal quickly. Somebody else might take months if they've had complications or 
And then on top of that, then you have to get yourself prepared for a hundred mile. So no, those deferrals should be more than a year. If if you're going to do it, like that's where I'm like, think about it really like be mindful of all the things and the considerations. So it should be longer than a year. It should be one. Well, it should be, I think two to three years, but you know, I'm not the race director of all the races out there, whatever, you know, but you, it's just, there's, there's a lot more to it. And yes, being a female and trying to get into, especially these longer races, a lot of it is dependent on how their cultural and societal norms function day to day and what those, their life, their life is like. And for some women, it, it's a lot harder than others. Yeah. So maybe going towards the end of our conversation, since I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, maybe one curiosity from my side um, yeah. is how, how have you turned this project into your job? Like how does this project becomes financially independent? Sure. That's a lot of people have asked that and I'm, kind of flattered with that one too. So I'm like, oh, wow, we did something that, you know, we're not just one type thing. We're kind of multiple things. We're not just a club. We're not a media site. We're not just a journal. We're like a combination of all the things, but you know, for us to exist and I'm always really open with it, we have different revenue streams, right? Different things that keep us going. One is partnerships with different organizations. You know, we have a really great partnership with Hoka. They've been excellent with us and has they've helped us in many different ways. So, um, so partnerships is great. Um, obviously, we do sell uh, merch for Trail Sisters. So we sell hats and um, trucker or trucker hats, shirts, and some other goodies. We, you know, we have a um, so that's another one. Um, we have uh, like a a community team. You know, we can't supply tons of people with free gear, but we can come up with a way that, Hey, you know, being a team manager once upon a time, you know, is only the fastest people that they would take or the ones with the biggest Instagram following, you know, but the funny thing was there were so many other people that were much better like ambassadors, but they didn't have podium finishes and they didn't have a huge media following. But the thing was in their local community, everybody knew them and loved them and they would be much better at selling the shoes for that brand than the person they were, you know, paying, which I always thought was ridiculous, but in terms of the brand mentality, so creating a unity team, you know, there, that was for the people that really want to fly the trail sisters flag. They have special opportunities, get access to certain things, but there's a little, a fee that comes with that because that fee also helps us to stay in business and do what we're doing. Um, and also events. So that's the other, the other kind of bucket. So we put on a few races. And then we have some retreats and, um, you know, that, that helps us kind of keep the lights on as well. So you have to diversify that revenue stream for the most part. You can't expect funding to come from one place. And also in a, in a business like ours, you know, it's, it can be ebb and flow, you know, some, sometimes it can be really great in that sense, you know, things are really working. We might have more partnerships than that. Other times, you know, if, if things change up or, you know, maybe there's not a lot of merch sales when you're, or a, a big partner, you know, just is not going to focus on something different that can affect our, our, you know, our financial flow too. And so you have to kind of roll with it, <laughs> but that's how, that's how a business like ours kind of survives. We, we, you know, kind of need different aspects of funding. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we started this as a passion project. We didn't start it as something to sell. 
you know, and I think that is actually why we've had a ton of success. You know, we're not a company that created a product and now looking for a community to sell it to. We created something to help the community and it grew so fast that we're like, oh gosh, it's now turning into a job. We have to find ways to pay ourselves to continue this. And that's why we started, well, what if we make merch? They, they like us, maybe they'll buy a hat, you know? And then the brands are like, hey, you're doing a great job. How can we get involved? But it came from here to give people anything they needed to have a great experience. It was never, we didn't start to be like, hey, let's sell merch first and then create a community. It's all about the community, you know? So anyhow, again, I could go on for hours with this stuff. But (laughs) but, but it's fun. It's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, basically you know, what Charles Sister has become is a consequence of its mission and original idea, I I think. Cool. So I, I really encourage everyone to to visit the website to get involved. Uh, there's tons of information and resources that are not even just for women. Like I'm personally very interested about everything that you're doing. Um, I wish something similar could start uh in europe too because i think we have like trail running is quite different uh in the united states and in europe and i feel like um you know sometimes the trail scene here is very male-centric um and you're a, a little bit more advanced on this side in the united states for some reasons, maybe not for others, but, um, you know, being, uh, with, you know, both feet on one side and on the other, I tend to compare and to see what, uh, each side of the pond is doing. So, um, I hope something similar starts even here in, um, in, in Europe. And, um, I'm also thinking about another project. You probably know it. Um, it's a newsletter, uh, that is called fast woman that is basically talking about distance running from a woman's perspective that is is really cool so i'm a great supporter of all these projects and um i think they deserve recognition and uh, yeah to be to be under the spotlight so that's that's one of the reasons why i decided to reach out to you and uh, have you on the podcast which hopefully is a small contribution from my side <laughs> yeah no this is great i really appreciate it you know it's especially you know from a european side you know i speak to people over here but it's great to i know things are different and also we are working on starting trail sisters groups and things in across the pond as you put you know yeah. over on that side in Europe it'll take a little bit but we uh we have some plans in doing that because we get enough women asking how can we start one here and it's there's a little bit more hoops other hoops to drop dr- jump through but um but it's possible but um but yes having someone like yourself uh bring in myself and talk about trail sisters I appreciate it very much it's always great to talk to you know it's I talk to a lot of women on podcasts and so everybody thinks, oh, it's just information just for women, but it, it's not, it's really for everybody. The, the hope is to educate everyone. So thank you for the platform today and, and allowing me to share my story. I appreciate it. Yeah. It means a thank, lot. Thank you for your time and for all the interesting things that you said.
And yeah, I hope our audience also enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. And uh, maybe see you somewhere in the mountains. <laughs> yes, come out to Colorado. <laughs> I will. I, I was there uh, in 2022 for Pikes Peak. And uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I ran the two stages of the Golden Tour Series uh, in okay. Colorado and then Arizona. And yeah, in Flagstaff, Arizona. But I think nice. this year I'll be back. So maybe we'll cross paths. Yeah, if you go back to Pikes Peak, you're only about an hour and a half away, less than an hour and a half away from where I'm at. So you let me know. Yeah. All right. It's been fun. Thank you for your time and uh, all the best for everything. Yeah, thank you as well. Thank you so much for listening to our great interview today. I really hope you enjoyed it. And I thank you for being a regular listener of this podcast. If you haven't already downloaded the Bertrand app, I encourage you to do so. There, you can connect for free with other trail runners of all levels in the Bertrand community in our in-app groups. You can stay in trail shape with our free workout videos and get affordable coaching for your next trail running goal, all for $25 per month. Thanks again for being here today. Until next time, I'm Francesco Pupi. Thank you for listening to Running Long.